Hello and welcome to the Faculty Podcast, covering the latest breakthroughs, research, news and insight delivered by the world's leading academic and industry figures. One reason for the long history of debate and contestation around grammar is that grammar means different things to different people. For some, it's about being able to name and identify grammar structures like nouns or clauses, but for others it's about correcting errors. And yet for others, it's about developing knowledge and understanding of how language works. So the problem is, when people discuss grammar, people are often talking at cross-purposes. And there's also something of a gap between what you might call school grammar and the academic discipline of linguistics. Um, Traditionally, in the past, school grammar has been very much about exercises, identifying grammar, usually just at sentence level, and about learning rules. But modern linguistics is much more interested in the idea of studying language, discerning the patterns in language use, how language works in different contexts. So you could say school grammar prescribes how you should use grammar, but linguistics explores how grammar is used in reality. And that's what causes a lot of that tension. If we think about this problem of contestation and debate, it's important to note that internationally, the pattern is mixed in terms of views of the place of grammar in the curriculum in different countries. It's actually the Anglophone countries, America, the UK, Australia, and New Zealand especially, where this debate has been most fierce. In lots of other countries, in the Far East and in lots of European countries, for example, teachers routinely teach grammar as part of their first language teaching. And there's a consensus there that grammar should be taught. Although I have to say that in Europe, lots of countries are now currently beginning to ask critical questions about why they're teaching grammar. But in Anglophone countries, The lack of consensus is largely to do with the fact that policymakers are often programmer and teachers and lecturers are against it. That's a bit of a crude distinction, but in general, that's what makes the achieving the consensus hard. But there's another point here. It partly links to the nature of evidence. There have been some very influential reviews internationally about the effect of grammar teaching on children's writing all pointing to the fact that it has no effect or even a negative effect and they've been very influential and there are some problems with these studies because they do all tend to rely on the same pieces of research and more crucially they all draw from educational contexts where no connection was made between the grammar you were being taught and how it might improve your writing so being able to identify a noun in a grammar lesson on tuesday isn't really going to make your story writing any better on a Thursday. So that's been highly problematic. And at the same time, policymakers in the US and the UK especially are increasingly only interested in the results from large randomised controlled trials, which can only ever provide partial evidence. So it's hard to decide what the real evidence is about the role of grammar. Well, in some countries, there's a really strong view that there's value for learners in knowing the correct terminology to talk and write about language, you know, knowing the grammar words like verbs or clauses or syntax, etc. And this view makes no claims that knowing grammar makes you a better writer. They're just saying that this body of knowledge about grammar is important. How that knowledge is used is a different question, of course. 
And in some ways, it's just like knowing the names of dinosaurs or knowing the periodic table. It's curriculum knowledge. And that's a perfectly valid view. And as I've already said earlier, there are some people who maintain that the real value of learning grammar is learning the rules of the language. And if you learn the rules of the language, it will make you a more correct writer. And in fact, even a better person. Here in the UK, there's always been a strange slide between correct grammar and morality. When we had the London riots in 2011, one newspaper wrote a report about how the riots were caused by young people who'd never been taught to speak properly. But actually, this idea of rules is completely flawed. When they're talking about rules, people usually mean things like don't split the infinitive or don't dangle your participles. But actually, they aren't rules at all. They're just conventions of usage and they change over time. Grammar is actually full of rules, but these are really deep rules. And as first language users, we put them all into practice without even knowing those rules. And we can't articulate the rule. So if I say to you, oh, look at the leather red big handbag, you'd know instantly that those adjectives are in the wrong order. We don't say leather red big in English, and none of us would say it in that order. But very few first language speakers can explain that rule. But we do know the rule. So in actual fact, first language speakers and writers make very, very few real grammatical errors in their writing. It's much more about usage and felicity of expression. And then thirdly, on this point of different perspectives, there's now a growing body of educators who are much more interested in knowing um, how grammar learning can help young people understand the way language works, both in terms of being able to read texts critically and notice how grammatical patterns are influencing the reader, and in terms of being able to shape and craft writing more effectively. So it is making that connection between knowing grammar and being able to do something better as a language user. One of the big themes within education has always been that the rejection of grammar because it stifles creativity. You know, grammar equals rules, creativity equals freedom. They're completely opposed. But this view of grammar, of knowing, um, looking at the way language works, brings grammar and creativity together in the same space. The work of my own team here in Exeter in the Centre for Research in Writing has always been connected to the view that knowing about how grammar works can be a valuable resource for learners. In actual fact, the interest in this started over 15 years ago when we did a study looking at the differences in patterns of grammar usage in secondary age children and we were comparing them by age, gender and writing attainment. That study was really about looking at patterns of writing development. But the results of that study, for example, that good writers, writers provided more elaboration within the sentence and that good writers had more varied syntactical openings to sentences, made us think more about, well, why don't we tell children this? And crucially, why don't we show them why this makes the writing more powerful? And we've been working on that ever since with a cumulative series of studies. So we talk about grammar as choice, partly because it's so obviously antithetical to the idea of rules, but more because that's what we want developing writers to understand. When you write, you're making a myriad of choices. What word, what image, what detail, where does the information go in a sentence? And many of these choices come down to grammar. 
Let me give you an example, one that we often use with teachers. It's actually a sentence from a book by children's author, Michael Morpurgo. Listen to it and picture what you see. Think about how you might film it. And out of the mists, walking across the water, came a figure in flowing green. Now listen to this version. And a figure in flowing green came walking across the water, out of the mists. They're the same words in both, but different order. In the first, we see the mists at first, and then we see the figure emerging out of that mist. In the second, we see the figure first, and then we become aware of the mists behind. If you're filming it, you might begin the first one with a wide-angled shot of the mists, then slowly narrow in to focus on the figure. And in the second, you might start with a close-up on the figure and then pan out. All of that is achieved by grammatical choices. Grammatically here, the Morpurgo sentence begins with an adverbial, out of the mist. And it also reverses the usual position of the subject in English. In this sentence, the verb came is before the, the subject figure, came a figure. In the second sentence, the subject is before the verb, its normal position, a figure came. And the adverbial out of the mists is at the end of the sentence. It's those grammatical choices which alter how as readers we see that sentence. The point of this, though, is not that one sentence is better than the other. And of course, they're both grammatically correct. The point is that the grammatical choices you make about the structure of the sentence have different effects. What do you want your reader to see or feel at this moment in the plot? Do you want to create a sense of mystery and suspense with the image of the mists coming first? Or do you want your reader to focus on the figure? In a nutshell, this example summarises our approach, showing developing writers how different grammatical choices change how their writing communicates to a reader. We see this as a way to empower young writers and help them understand the power of grammatical choice. <laughs>